Here's the thing. You've heard all about coronavirus right now, are probably sick of hearing the word. Maybe you hate being confined to your home, or maybe you're one of the ones disregarding the Whitmer order entirely, and putting people at risk while you do so. But probably the thing you've heard way too much about the idea is that we're all in this together. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Imagine all the people. Living for today. Yeah. Imagine there is no countries yet. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion too. Imagine all the people living for today. The Imagine video sampled here is a combination music video put together by a group of self-professed well-meaning celebrities. On the surface, it seems relatively harmless, though a bit out of touch. But when you think about those implications further, well, the line moves into distasteful. It's a veneer of icing trying to disguise a rotting fruitcake. These are individuals with the power to affect change simply because they have the money to make it happen. There's a reason comedian Josh Gondelman said that no politician can unify people in the way that the Imagine video seems to have united every single person against it. With that in mind, today we're going to talk about, in our content producer's Gabriela's words, the facade of equality that is current America. Where is this idea of unity failing us? And what does it really look like, especially in our disadvantaged communities? presents a message about unity. One of the big picture themes that a lot more people are noticing from this pandemic is the major failures of capitalism to support more poor and working class citizens who are disproportionately people of color. Instead of unity, capitalism is producing selfishness that seems to be unique to the United States. It starts simple. You've seen the crowd of college kids at the beach or the bars before they closed. People in supermarkets who just can't help but stand too close. No mask on, maybe even coughing in your direction. So many people are refusing to social distance. And I'm, I'm not talking about essential workers here. It's the people who aren't willing to give up everyday privileges that would infringe on the personal happiness. Hanging out with friends, going on numerous grocery runs a week, congregating at parks, these are all practices that were once relatively harmless, but now involve putting other people's lives at risk. There is no unity in selfishness, and we're beginning to see a lot of it, especially among the upper classes. At the same time, businesses that are deemed essential, like grocery stores and fast food drive throughs remain open, putting their employees at extreme risk. Not only that, a lot of people who work on the front lines often share homes with not just their immediate family, but also extended family, including grandparents. In order to keep their job, they may be putting immunocompromised and elderly relatives at risk as well. In my own family, my grandmother spends her time practically confined to her room, all because my mother is an emergency room trauma doctor who can't afford not to go to work. And those who haven't been deemed essential are losing their jobs. 
Umish senior Monica Kim told us about her family's financial situation. I think like a lot of people, the pandemic has definitely fucked with my mental health. Um, I feel like the first week where like all the things were closing, like when um when U of M announced that classes were going to be online and then um, I'm a senior so when we found out that graduation was postponed that was also really hard because I think like realizing that you're not going to get the closure of college that you were hoping for and expecting after four years of like you know going through classes um, and stuff like that um, so that was definitely hard but I think I am very lucky that I was able to go home to New Jersey. Um, my mom and I drove 10 hours from Ann Arbor to New Jersey, so um, I was lucky that I was able to do that because I know a lot of people weren't able to go home because they don't have good home lives or are low income or any other things like that that are affecting them. So I'm definitely lucky in that sense, and I, I think like just dealing or like trying to find the balance in being grateful um but also allowing myself to feel upset i think also just like my worry and anxiety has spiked since the pandemic um my mom works at a nail salon and so um obviously i had to close down and so she's out of work so she's not making any money um luckily my dad is a tax accountant like cpa guy so he's still making money from home um but like my my work state job has been cut in half so i'm getting half the amount of money that i was supposed to be paid so definitely worried about finances um definitely worried about my prospects of getting a job after graduation with the recession um my cousin who goes to nyu and is living in new york uh has stayed in new york because she doesn't really have a great relationship with her dad who lives in new jersey so i'm also worried about her just because new york is such a hot spot um and i've she's just told me a lot a lot about a lot of incidents where Asian Americans have been getting verbally or physically attacked. So obviously I'm worried about her for that. Um, but yeah, I think those are some examples of how the pandemic has affected me. The unfortunate truth is that Monica's experience is really only the tip of the iceberg when it comes to pandemic financial difficulties. There's an exponential effect here. Our workers that are paid the least make up the largest fraction of workers deemed essential, which means the family with the lowest incomes are the ones that have to choose between putting their lives in constant danger and providing for themselves, and deal with public shaming from people who haven't bothered to learn their situation. Simultaneously, landlords across the country are demanding rent from their tenants, many without any sort of discount or allowed delay. This has been a major problem for U of M students who have lost their job or have had to move out of their Ann Arbor housing in order to return home. The expectation of tenants to continue to pay rent at a full price without income or government relief is impossible for many. Landlords want tenants to pay what may be the last of their income for the foreseeable future to them, while at the same time admitting that they don't follow their own advice when it comes to having an emergency plan. 
In reality, the most powerful, politically and financially, have done little to support the working class. Multiple U.S. senators have been accused of selling their stocks in mid-February after learning about the stock market tanks that were bound to occur when the virus began to spread more rapidly and affect the economy. Instead of jumping into action to prevent the damage being done onto the American people, they profited. This is called insider trading. It's also illegal. In another case, Jeff Bezos, CEO of Amazon, also accused of the same insider trading, created the Amazon Relief Fund, asking Amazon shoppers to donate money that would go towards assisting their employees and partners in this hard time. Wait, what? That's right. Bezos, the richest man on earth, essentially set up a GoFundMe. The amount of his accumulated wealth is so large that he could create fundamental change not only in the United States, but around the world. Why is the responsibility of helping Amazon employees at the hands of customers, and not Bezos himself? This is a major pattern that's only become more obvious under our current pandemic circumstances. People with more power and privilege are putting those without means at risk of physical, mental, and financial harm, even as socialist ideas like mutual aid funds, government assistance, and Medicare for all are gaining more traction. In our current capitalist setup, the rich and powerful are able to exploit and profit at the detriment of the working class. The people who is becoming obvious are the true backbone of our country. Yes, COVID-19 can infect anyone, but we're all being affected by the crisis in different ways. Pre-existing social issues are now becoming exacerbated throughout this crisis. Access to grocery stores, Wi-Fi, the money to be able to buy a month's worth of groceries, the mental health to focus on an online lecture or keep an unregulated schedule, one of the most glaring examples of these inequalities comes in the form of Rikers Island. Rikers Island, one of the largest prisons in the U.S., has the highest rate of cases of coronavirus in the world. Its infection rate comes in at 5.1%, nine times higher than the New York City area, 11 times higher than Italy's Lombardy region, and a whopping 44% higher than Hubei Province, China, the location of origin for the outbreak, according to reporting from Reuters. As of Tuesday, data from the Legal Aid Society places the rate of infection in New York City jails at almost 4%, compared to just 0.5% for the city as a whole. And it doesn't just end there. Four days ago, April 2nd, the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services reported that 35% and 40% of cases and fatalities, respectively, are found in members of the Black community. The Washtenaw County Health Department wrote on this phenomenon specifically, attributing part of the 48% of total cases made up of Black people to the effects of structural and environmental racism. But, they added, there's still a portion of that that can't be accounted for that way. There's a chance, a very real chance, Black and brown people are more susceptible to the virus, and it isn't being recognized or looked into enough. It is exactly for reasons like these that marginalized people need to be recognized. Until then, how are we going to take societal steps towards unity? We have to rely on each other for help. We've seen this with community support, like donations, and supporting local businesses, and people who have actively worked to struggle for human needs like accessible healthcare long before the pandemic hit. Human rights are an essential part of the conversation, now more than ever, when everything we know to be normal isn't in place. We can say with confidence that we have never experienced anything like this since the development and rise of social media. So I guess in that sense, we are truly united. But as racism against Asian Americans rises, just this week alone, a Texan family was assaulted, including the stabbing of children ages six and two. And social media platforms provide a place to sow more discord. It's hard to see them as tools of progress. It's important and essential that we don't conflate unity with equality, as we have seen many privileged communities and voices do in the past couple of weeks. 
At this time, it is incredibly important that we don't lose sight of our position in this world, as it will continue once we step out of our homes in however many months from now. We hope that we acknowledge the ability to do things like turn everyone's water on in Michigan, and that we not just pay mind to it, but remember that water is a human right, one we should not have to fight for. If it's happening now, why shouldn't it happen later? This time is essential in that it shows us the possibilities we have so long deserved, but been denied of. There are ways to defeat these inequalities, and there are truths that we don't see. And we must remember when we leave our homes to continue to demand these truths. Is things like false reporting on the seriousness of the virus, delayed updates on the living and fatal cases happening around the world, and the silencing of journalists and doctors who attempt to shed light on these falsehoods that remind us of what is being kept from us. We are not united in the way we can be, the way we could be, or even in the way that we've been promised as American and global citizens. As the virus continues to put people's lives at risk, we're seeing the potential of what is possible through increased resources like shelter, healthcare, hunger, and the lack of eviction. In the words of our own Sydney Gardner-Brown, it's not that we're united because we're all going through the same global struggle. We're not. Our unity will come from supporting each other, from passing down and punching up and inching towards equality. It is essential that we don't let our frustration, our needs and demands seize with the moment or the lesson. It is essential that we take these frustrations, these concerns about healthcare, the anger over a nation refusing to home the homeless, the confusion over a family's inability to find a meal or shelter when others have more stockpiles than they'll ever need, and the hope that we will find a solution and carry them out of this disaster. There needs to be a revolution in the way that we define a functioning, united, and equal society. That sounds like a lot. And in some ways, it is. But compared to the collected experiences of human inequality, it's the least we can do. We hit hard on where we're lacking in unity today, but it's not that the world is lost. We're going to end with a few examples of where people, from the ordinary to the famous, have been getting things right. First of all, and obviously, a huge thank you to all workers and support who have been deemed essential during this time. For putting your lives in the line, for enduring a choice no one should have to make, thank you. Secondly, now more than ever, art is important. It entertains us. It distracts us. It keeps us grounded during times of uncertainty. In a time when we don't even know where the end is, let alone have it in sight. In a time where isolation lends to exhaustion, which clashes with our society's need to make us feel the ever-burgeoning push to be productive. It's artists, many of whom themselves are not being supported, who are keeping us afloat. Here are some simple ways to support your community while continuing to practice safe social distancing protocols. Support your local businesses, especially those that are Asian-owned, and tip the hell out of the workers and drivers. Also support your local indie artists. Many writers are currently getting screwed over by a scam masquerading as a nonprofit, which many re respectable news outlets are reporting on as if legitimate. Podcasts are experiencing a boom now as well, but the stats show less people are listening. Help them out if you can. A lot of artists have Patreons or band camps or places where you can support with a relatively low amount, but every little bit will make a difference. If your family has household workers and can afford it, pay them even when they're not working. They have bills too. Try not to shop on the first of the month or the second. People who get food stamps or get paid on this day may really need these supplies. In general, try to space out your grocery trips longer than they might have been otherwise too. Wear a mask when you go out. While a regular mask won't 100% keep you safe from the virus, it's an extra layer of protection for both you and everyone around you. We've included instructions for a simple sewable mask in the accompanying article. More and more states are starting to recommend wearing a mask when going out. Donate to mutual aid funds. We've included those that we know of in the article for this episode. 
don't cross picket lines. Amazon and Whole Foods workers went on strike in the end of March, as did Instacart workers, for increased benefits and support during this time. It's not unlikely that there will be more to come, so stay alert for notices of when such things are happening, and avoid buying from those companies during those times if you're able. Call and write to your local government officials to push for changes that push for some of the changes that we talked about in this episode. That might just be the difference in saving someone's life. Finally, stay home if you can. Limit interactions with people outside of those you've been quarantined with to six feet apart. Check out the accompanying episode article for a list of community organizations or initiatives in and around Ann Arbor. If you are involved in or know of any successful or genuine foundations or fundraisers in the area, email us at reshurao at umich.edu. That's R-A-S-H-U-R-A-O at umich.edu so that we can add you to our list. <laughs>